Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, with Pastor John King. Some of you may be wondering, uh, John and I spent an uh, afternoon yesterday together. <laughs> we went all the way down to uh, uh, Aberdeen to a, a men's conference. It was a late, kind of late notice. Uh, so we decided we'd go check it out at Calvary Chapel down there and we're hoping to uh, do that again. We told them it was a great turnout. It was a great uh, experience. Uh, it's nothing to do with my, much to do with my message today, but the, the, the theme was doulos, uh, servant. And they just gave a very great uh, five-part presentation and had some great fellowship and praise and worship. So Men, uh, you know, we're looking at ways to gather outside the building for fellowship and edification and exhortation, and so we are working on that, but that may be why we're a little punchy up here today. Uh, as far as men's prayer, I, I actually wanted to give credit to uh, Doug and Eric and Anthony because they're the ones who really, you know, you can say it was my vision or whatever, but I, I will say that when, when you're in a church of uh, committed believers who uh, devote their lives to God's word. Uh, the pastor is often in a position of kind of looking around and going, wow, that was a, that's amazing, the work that God is doing. And you don't never attribute it to yourself. You never take the glory for yourself because God doesn't share that. <laughs> and so, uh, but I do want to give recognition to Anthony and to Doug and to uh, Stephen Parsons and, uh, and Ray Steffens and Eric and because these guys actually, they've been so faithful. I have not been faithful to go to men's prayer for the longest time. And these guys have been very faithful to do that. And I think that they, the, the, they kind of kept the, the spark going. And so, you know, it's a simple thing. We come here at six o'clock and we don't have a meal. We don't have any entertainment. We, we might have a little devotion. We have time to talk with one another, but we have time to pray because it tells God what we think of him. That we're willing to take time out of our busy schedule just to come into the Lord's house and pray. So here I am, again, I'm, I'm plugging men's prayer, but I'm very sincere about it because I think it's going to make a difference. And also ladies. Now, ladies is at a different time, and a lot of you ladies work during the day, so I understand that. But um, I just want to say, folks, the things that we can do as a church to make a difference, there's a lot more we can do outside of Sunday and just a simple time, uh, an hour every two weeks to pray, believe me, I think it'll make a big difference. Not only in our families, not only in our church, but it will make a big difference in our community. Trust me, I believe that, that to be true, and I think we're seeing that too. So anyway, that's enough of that. Today we're going to be in the book of Galatians. We're going to start chapter 4. So turn, turn with me, if you will, to verses 1 through 11 in Galatians chapter 4. While you're going there, um, just a reminder from last week. You know, we've, we've had a very thorough look, wouldn't you agree? A very thorough look at the purpose of the law. Knowing, of course, that our justification comes only through faith and not of works or of the law, trying to keep it. And I've been saying, you know, we, we, we can learn how to chew gum and, and walk and chew gum at the same time. We learn as Christians when we study God's word to be able to hold separate truths alongside one another. You know, we're able to separate God's word as we dive into it. We're able to understand the deepness more thoroughly. 
And so that's what we're doing. That's what Paul is doing for us. And that's where we have the opportunity to go in. You know, when we're secure in our faith and we're not encumbered with trying to keep or work our way into a right standing with God. You know, God, I messed up again. God, I just, I can't seem to get it right. Will you please forgive me? Help me get back to where I need to be. We can know. We, we have a clear understanding. First of all, in this case, it was the purpose of the law. So some of the ways we try to make up for our shortcomings is to try and do good as though God needs us to do that. And, and, and so Paul is trying to change that way of thinking uh, with these false teachers that have come into the church. But it's, it's also in our mindset. You know, we tend to want to, you know, play catch up. And Lord, I know I, I'm going to do better. I'm going to get back to whatever I need to do, whether it's prayer or devotions or whatever. And those are good things. But we need to understand where we're at to begin with. Our right standing with God. Because that will free us up to want to do these things without this yoke of legalism on our shoulders. Amen? So this week we're going to begin a new section of Paul's letter that really does focus now on the true freedom and identity that we have, we've received, already received in Christ. You know, it's not something you've got to work towards. You've, you've got it. If you're a Christian, you've got it. Why? Because God's salvation goes far deeper than enabling believers to escape judgment. You know, that's the basic things of our faith. When God rescues us, he draws us into an intimate, loving relationship with himself. We are brought into his family, and that's what we're going to talk about today. In fact, God's own spirit is given to us so that we might kind of experientially know that we are truly entitled to call God Abba Father. We're allowed to address him in that way. And that he loves his children. He loves us as children. He's a father who loves us as his children. So let's look at our passage. Verse 1 of chapter 4 in Galatians. It says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you were sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not God's. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage. You observe days and months and seasons and years, and I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Bow our heads in prayer, please. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord, and we know that there is no mistake in your plans for us, no matter where we are, what time of day, what year it is, what season of life we're in. 
we as your children need to hear you to tell us. We need, we need to know and be assured that you are, are truly our Father in heaven. You truly have redeemed us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we have right standing with you if we know you personally and have received the sacrifice that's been offered. And so, Lord, thank you in advance for the way that you will encourage us today. And you will comfort us by your word. Go before us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So you see in verses 1 through 3 of Galatians 4, Paul is going to start to talk about going beyond the ABCs, going beyond the basic elements. But he starts out with a little um, analogy. Verse 1, he says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child... Now this analogy is how inheritance works. You know, those that are heir to receive a position or possessions. And it's similar to what happens in our day today. It's called a will and a testament to those who are, you know, your children and your family. Uh, you may have been a recipient of, or you may be preparing to make them a recipient of your uh, family uh, fortune. But uh, in any event, um, Paul's using this analogy of how inheritance worked in that day in certain segments of the Roman society. The heir uh, was, had a position bestowed to him by birth, but the full privileges of that position still await, is what he's saying. This is very familiar to us. Um, you recall from last week in verse 29, it, it reads that uh, in Galatians 29, it says, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we're all recipients of the promise of the Lord, of God to Abraham, um, of the promise of eternal life. You know, that's, that's the promise that was given if you've received it. But notice it says, now that I say that the heir, as long as he is a child. Now that, chi that word child is nepios, that means a minor, somebody of young age. Not, not just the children of God in a general sense. And he says that, he does not differ at all from a slave. Well, why is that? Well, the reason why is because he hasn't grown up. He is not mature enough to receive the inheritance yet. And so he's no better than a slave, but he makes sure to say, though he is master of all. So you see, you know, a, um, a show or a story where you have, you know, like say a, a house butler and then the young master, and he refers to him as young master. But young master doesn't get to tell the butler what to do, you see, because that, that person has been put in charge until that person is old enough, until that young master has reached the age of maturity. So he says in verse 2, it is guardians, it is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. So in other words, a child, an heir, who is master of all, who will receive the blessings and will receive whatever is presented, is, is now placed under stewardship until that time comes. And it says here, until the time appointed by the Father. It was determined beforehand. It was prearranged by the Father. As though a father sets out his last will and testament and says, I don't want my son Joe to receive my family fortune until he's 
over the age of 30 because at this stage in his life, he'll blow it all. I mean, that's common. You see that all the time. Uh, so, you know, it's determined beforehand. Now, even though the position of true sonship has been established, it's been established, during the formative years of growing and maturing, the heir is under protective custody until the set time appointed. Even so, verse 3, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. Now he's going to compare, in the spiritual sense, what it was like, once, now that we've received the promises, he's looking back to what it's like before you were in bondage, when you were in bondage. It says, even so. In other words, we also, having provided this illustration of how a minor's inheritance is administered, he begins to bring out the spiritual truth concerning our spiritual condition. Galatians 3.26, this is a fact. In Christ, you and I are sons of God through faith in Jesus. As we said, Galatians 3.29, we are also heirs according to the promise. So we're not only in the family, but we're going to receive the promises of the blessing. We're heirs of the blessing. It says, when we were children. Now, this is sort of a metaphor. When we were childish, when we were untaught, when we were unskilled. You know, I didn't know these things. In what? In what, in what way were we not taught? Well, in the true meaning and experience of the father-son or father-daughter relationship that we have with God. You know, a lot of people are hurt by family pain and tragedy. They're hurt by the fact that they don't see God as a father because their father wasn't right. Things weren't right, whatever the situation. And so a lot of people have a real hard time and they struggle mightily with seeing God as a father. And Paul's saying, look, we need to understand these things. Now, you recall from last week when we said that one of the law's purposes was to be as a kind of a guardian and to watch over us until we're saved by faith. You know, an interesting thing about God's big picture plan that he has for all those who will come to know Christ. You're held under the law. The, the Jewish people were held under the law until the Messiah came. But the same is true for all of us. And we talked about how evangelism and how the law works, the Ten Commandments. And Paul says this, though. He says, you were children and you were in bondage to the elements, or excuse me, under the elements of the world. What, what is he talking about? The elements of the world. The stoikion. Now, the literal interpretation for this interesting thing, elements of the world... He's going to talk later about their low status. He's going to call them beggarly elements. The interesting about, thing about it is stoichion, it's literally the ABCs. It's the simple building blocks that you could set in a row for whatever situation. Basic, but in this case, it's basic spiritual principles. You see, the ancients would... Consider a person's destiny to be somehow connected to the times and the seasons or controlled by the sun and the moon. These are basic spiritual, not all scriptural you know, pr uh, principles. It's just general thought. David Guzik, uh, he talks, uh, uh, I like how he presents uh, kind of a, a, our modern and postmodern philosophy uh, in, a, in a sense. But he, he says, the idea of the ABCs of the universe, 
you know, these general principles, is important. And he says, if, if there is any ABC of the universe, if they are, if it is true, these elementary principles, you and I must break free of them. And, and it's stressed upon this pagan religions as much as Jewish law. You know, as much as the law was a basic understanding, a foreshadowing of things to come, so, in a sense, were these pagan beliefs. So it kind of encompasses everybody, even though he's specifically talking to the Christians at Galatia. It's called the principle, you've heard it before, of cause and effect. We may call it, you know, karma, or you get what you deserve, or what goes around comes around. I mean, we all hear these phrases. We may even use them. Yet it rules nature and the minds of men. You know, everybody can be a little bit philosophical, at least, right, about life. In general. You don't have to know anything about the Bible. We live under the idea that we get what we deserve. And when we are good, we deserve to receive good. And we, when we are bad, we, de we deserve to receive bad. I mean, that's just kind of the general principle. And Paul's trying to say, look, that's, that's basic stuff. That's beggar. That's nothing compared to your standing in Christ. You need to get off of that. Now, Another aspect, very simply, when you talk about the elements of the world, it can refer to all the things that men use to get right with God, to secure favor and his approval. And it refers to anything that man uses to justify himself before God. Any approach to God that is taken by man by his own energy and his own effort. You know, I can do it, you can do it. You know, that power of positive thinking or whatever it is, whatever pop psychology or philosophy you adopt. You have law and you have works, which was, was common to the Jews. You can have it in our society and in our culture. You have ritual and ceremony. That was big for the Jewish people at the time. Uh, you can have church membership or ordinances. You know, you can think that's for Christians. You can have, of course, astrology or science. And that's usually for the Gentiles and the atheists. Or how about philosophy or religion for the pagans, the humanists? You know, humanism is a major force. Pagan humanism is a major force in our society now. It, you see it everywhere. You see it everywhere you look. Because you, you have to kind of throw out the Bible and make up a whole new set of rules. How does that work? Well, you can see for yourself how it works. The point is this. Before Christ, all approaches to God were only elementary approaches. They were very basic. No approach was the right approach for a man had only little knowledge of God. An elementary knowledge that required the discipline and the guidance of the law. You know, we, we look back at the ancients, we look back at the Jews, they lived in Jesus' time, we look at the patriarchs, we look at all the folks in the Bible, and you think, you know, they saw so many amazing things. They saw God do so many amazing miracles. But their understanding was rather dim compared to what we're offered through Christ and through his word. We forget that. So Paul's getting ready to challenge the Galatians to go beyond these ABCs or these basic elements of worldly thinking and religious practice into a deeper and better understanding of God's grace. That's a good place to be, folks. You might say, oh, too much grace, you're going to have license, you're going to fall into sin. 
Not when you truly understand what it means. Our position and status as Christians is not based on our own works and efforts. Colossians 2, 8 and 20, Paul says this to the Colossians, similar thing. He says, beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to the regulations? What, I mean, you know, we do it all the time. Uh, at that men's conference yesterday, one pastor stood up and spoke, and he's been on a, on a steady, slow departure from all forms of social media. He's just, you know, news and everything. Now you say, well, I I'm not that type of person. And I'm not here to tell you that that's what Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City needs to do. Okay, that's not what I'm trying to say. But the way that the ways of the world so easily creep into our hearts, into my mind, through my phone, okay, and the things that we all have access to should give us pause to consider what we're being influenced by. Where are we spending our energy I've been using that saying, walk and chew gum. Uh, it wasn't original to me, but obviously we love to say it. That's being capable of keeping more than one spiritual truth separate in our minds. And one writer put it this way, our good cannot justify us under grace, and our bad need not condemn us. Now, let me clarify that because it's too easy to say, ah, you know, I do good, I do bad, nothing matters. No, there are consequences when we do things, okay? There are consequences to our sin. We know that. But that doesn't change our standing as Christians, who we are. It doesn't take away the fact that we're not children of God. And also, to be fair, uh, one writer put it this way, David Guzik said it, the ABCs of the universe, these basic elementary principles of the universe and ways of thinking, are not bad in themselves. Why is that? We do and we must use it in life and God does have a proper place for it. But we, not, but we must not base our relationship to God on the principle, on the worldly principles since we are now under grace. It's, it's this deeper understanding. It's not like, oh, now we're just Christians and we just go to church and we don't do certain things and that's what defines me. No, there's a deeper understanding that God wants us to understand here. It's not Because oftentimes we're Christians, we go to church, we don't do certain things, but we look exactly like the world. And people go, you guys aren't any different. Uh, why would I want to come to your church? <laughs> you know, why would I want to fellowship with you? And so we need to, have, we need to believe what the word of God says. And which is why I'm, you know, I'm kind of saying this thing about prayer is super important for us to come outside of that comfort zone, that Sunday that we happen to have off. We must not base our relationship with God on this principle since we are now under grace. He does not deal with us on the principle of earning and deserving. Because this is such an elementary principle, it is so hard for us to shake this kind of thinking. You may have to remind yourself of this on a regular basis. And it really depends on how much you take in, too. And you say, well, okay, now you want us to live like a hermit. No, <laughs> I'm not saying that either. 
we, we have an interesting life. We've been put in this place. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're salt and light. We're not salt that doesn't bring flavor to the world and truth. But it is essential, he writes, that if we will walk in grace, excuse me, you have to shake this kind of thinking, this worldly thinking that controls you and dominates because it's essential if you're going to walk in grace. When we live on the principle of earning and deserving before God, we will live under bondage to the elements. You see, the things, when we take out things of God in our life, you know, and we're, we're all a work in progress, so don't, don't, please don't get me wrong on this. Ask Margaret. <laughs> Ask Margaret. Ask my daughter, Jamie. Oh, she didn't, I mentioned her name. Sorry, Jamie. Uh, forgive, ask forgiveness in advance. Uh, but those who are close to us in a family, we know that we're not, you know, we're not perfect. We're flesh and blood. We're subject to all the temptations in life. And we're subject to all the elements. But the more we take in of the world, the less, or excuse me, the more bondage we're actually putting ourselves in. We're actually putting ourselves under a yoke. So he says here, moving ahead into verses four through seven, now we need to know our standing. Okay, we need to understand our standing. We've come from slaves to sons and daughters. You know, we've been, we were slaves to sin. We were slaves to the law. We were slaves to being, earning things and doing things with this worldly thinking. And we've been changed. And he says in verse four, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Paul introduces now a contrast to the previous and temporary time of basic spiritual principles. When you look at the length of time, whether you're an old earth or a young earth creationist, so it could be anywhere from 6,000 years that man was here on earth, uh, earth was around to 13.8 billion. <laughs> you have that much of a variance within the church <laughs> of true believers. They, they, old earthers and the young earthers argue about it. That's fine. I'm okay with that. Uh, I don't have a, a distinct, I don't have a real keen interest in it um, at this time. But when the fullness of time to come, so Paul's introducing this previous time, and now God will perform a divine act, not just a random event, okay? This is a pivotal moment. This is, you know, what got us where we're at today. God's plan of redemption. And we should not miss, uh, Leon Morris says, we should not miss the emphasis on the divine act. Keep in mind that these things don't just happen. Paul was not saying that Jesus decided to start a new religious movement, which is what secularists will say. Those who argue against the Bible will say, Jesus was just a good man and he started a new religion. That's not the case. He is saying that God acted in Christ. God, supernatural, God of all creation, God the Father, acted in in Christ. And when he does, here's what we have. The fullness of time. He sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Those are the circumstances. Now you look back at history and, and many scholars point out the time for this transition from law to grace. And that's what it was. It was a transition in God's timing from the age of the law to the age of grace that we are presently in until Jesus returned. Then it's going to be judgment time which is why people need to be ready. But when you look back at history, you can say, well, why didn't he choose a different time in history? Why did we have to go through all this stuff? Why couldn't he have done it sooner? 
Jesus come back sooner? And you know what? That's up to God. But we do know that it was a time when Rome had brought relative peace and stability throughout all of the known world. We do know that the communications through the road systems, the bridges, the trades, and commerce were at their peak at that time in the Roman Empire, and that the Greek language was the official language of the entire Roman Empire. And there's a lot of different people groups covered in this Roman Empire, but they had one common language, Greek. And another thought about the fullness of time reflects on the idea that the sin of the world was now fully developed. It was fully developed. Mankind had plenty of time to see his fallen nature and the inability of even the strictest sect. You know, these Jews, these Pharisees and Sadducees were the strictest religious people on the earth. And they couldn't keep the law. They had, their sin was obvious. They couldn't save themselves by obedience to the law. So the timing, that the fullness of time that God decided that he set in motion and that he made happen is also a prophetic time. We learned in the book of Daniel. It was right because it was 483 years prophesied by Daniel back in Daniel 9, verses 24 through 26. So all of this happened for, God, for a reason and God's timing and we get quite a bit of information when you add all of these things together as to why God chose that particular time. One writer put it this way. The world was full of people who were spiritually starved. The worship of self, pleasure, gods, and philosophical ethics all had left many empty and barren. Does that sound familiar? The soul was now ready to have its hunger met. So we went from law to grace when he sent his son Jesus. He sent him forth with a purpose and with divine authority. His son was not adopted. He is the one and only son of God. Everyone else is an adopted son or daughter. But Jesus Christ is the one and only son of God. He's not an angel. He's not a great leader of men. John 6.38 Jesus said, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him, the Father, who sent me. So he was sent forth, born of a woman, genomai, born of a woman, to come into existence. Now, your King James Version said he was made. Jesus was made from the virgin womb to the world. Not, not just a virgin birth, but the reality of God, him being born from a woman and his now incarnation. God in the flesh. Jesus, the eternal son of God, had become a human being. John 1.14 And the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He was also born under the law. Because he was Jewish, he was subject to the same Mosaic laws. And another hint for you and I, because we can think and chew gum, we can talk and chew gum, that the law in and of itself was not evil, because if it was, he wouldn't have been subject to it. Amen? But he was born. So Adam and Jesus, we talk about now Adam, hi Adam. Now Adam and Jesus were both made men in the sense that God had a direct 
supernatural intervention in the making of the first human, Adam. That's what that means, uh, man, Adam. In a similar sense, God caused Jesus to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 15.45, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. So Jesus was born subject to the law as a Jew, but he was made by his father's appointment and his own free will, subject to the law, to keep it all. Jesus kept it all, the ceremonial, the moral, and he kept it perfectly for us as the representative of man. Now he is going to take over the representative man. He's going to you know, usurp the Adamic nature, the sin nature that we're all born with, and now Jesus is representing man to suffer and to exhaust the full penalty of the entire race's violation of it, all of humankind, right there on the cross. And so what did he do? He was sent, he was born of a woman, he was subject to the law. Verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law. To ransom or to buy off by Christ's death on the cross. He bought our freedom for those who were enslaved by the law or any system of false belief and sin. Any system, whatever it is. Not just for the Jews. Of course, the law was given to the nation Israel. It was given to the Jews. But anyone else under bondage through false gods, through philosophy, whatever it was, Jesus came to buy that, to purchase that. And here's the desired outcome. That you and I might receive the adoption as sons. See, that's why he came to pay the price. That we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. The picture of adoption is a beautiful picture of what God does for Christians. It's what he does. In the ancient world, the family was based on a Roman law called patria potestas. Patria potestas. The father's power. The law gave the father absolute authority over his children so long as, his, as the father lived. He could work, enslave, he could sell, and if he wished, he could pronounce a death penalty on his own children. Regardless of the child's adult age, the father held all power over personal and property rights. So therefore, adoption was a serious matter. It's a serious matter. Yet, it was a common practice to ensure that a family would not become extinct by having no male children. In China, you know, they've had to back off of their policies in China. You know, they had it to where you can only, I think, have one child, and, you know, they would actually put to death females in China. And they were limiting for population control, but they got behind the, they got behind the, the curve on it. Now they're having to say, hey, maybe you start having kids. Because it, it doesn't take long for a generation to diminish in populations. And they knew this, the ancient world knew this. So when a child was adopted, three legal steps were taken. The adopted son was adopted permanently. He could not be adopted today and disinherited tomorrow. He became a son of the father forever. He was eternally secure as a son. The adopted son immediately had all the rights of a legitimate son in the new family. And the adopted son, thirdly, completely lost all rights to his old family. 
The adopted son was looked upon as a new person, so new that old debts and obligations connected with his former family were canceled out and abolished as if they never existed. Interesting. Interesting. And so to be adopted as sons, and, and what we mean is sons, sons and daughters, because there's no you know, female nor male, slave nor free, Greek nor Jew, right? It's all everybody. Adopted as sons, the nature and the condition of true disciples of Christ, who by receiving the Spirit of God into their souls become the sons of God, the sons and daughters of God, who we are. Yes, it's a serious matter. Ephesians 1.5, God having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. The good pleasure of his will. Summarizing, believers are adopted as sons of God. When a person believes in Jesus Christ, God takes his faith and counts the person as being in Jesus Christ. Since Christ is God's son, the believer is counted as a son of God. All because he is seen as being in Jesus Christ, our place. His faith in Jesus Christ causes God to cover him with the sonship of his son and adopt him as a son of God. Amen? And so in verse 6 he says, And because you are sons, having established all that, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. You see, those who have faith in Christ have grown up. They're no longer children in the sense that you're under the old system. You're no longer children without an inheritance and without freedom. They're now sons and daughters of God. And God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. We receive the assurance of being accepted by God by the Holy Spirit. We receive that assurance. Why? Because we can cry out Abba or Father. Aramaic word for Father, Abba. It's, it's often said it's like Daddy. It's that intimate. And you say it like you mean it, but not because you have decided to affirm this truth necessarily, okay? It's so important to God that we get it. That he actually sends the Holy Spirit to confirm this truth in our hearts. You know it when you're defenseless before God. You take down all the facades. You take down all the, you know, all the fences. And then he strikes you. He speaks to your heart as only he can. You know that experience. I know that experience. It's not something I can conjure up and make happen. Why? Because it's already real. It's not fake. And besides that, if we were still slaves, we would never, ever be permitted to call our master Abba, Father, would we? 
Only those who are sons and daughters. And so he says in verse 7, Therefore you are no longer a slave but a son. This is proof positive. Folks, let your confidence rest right there, if that's you. If you're a son and you're an heir of God through Christ, believers are made heirs of God, but note they are heirs because they are sons of God. Both sonship and heirship come through Christ and through faith in him. So at the perfect crossroads of human history, Jesus Christ became the center of human history. Just at the right intersection of religion, politics, culture, and economics, Jesus brought about a spiritual revolution that would change the world forever. Chuck Swindoll. Not only do you and I need to understand our divine calling to take up our cross and to follow Jesus, knowing that it's not all a bed of roses, okay, with all of our problems solved and our needs met, our material health and wealth, none of that. In fact, it will include tribulations and there will be some degree of persecution. But we also need to understand our identity and true status as God's sons and daughters. Why? Why do we need to understand that? Because our flesh will, can and will fail us through the pride of self-effort or the crushing defeat of reality when the hard times come. So adoption is deliverance from the past. It is a status. It is the way of life in the present for you and I. We all have the privilege of true sonship that we can call God Abba, Father. And we also have a hope for the future, resurrection of our bodies. John 1.12 says, But as many as have received them, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Colossians 3.24, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody might say, well, you know, we're all children of God in one sense, right? I mean, we're all God's children, and that's true. Because we're also his offspring. Acts 17 talks about that. But also, those who don't know God, you know, your father, John 8, 44, you're actually, Jesus said it himself, you are your father of, of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. So you can be a child of the devil as well, and that's what you are apart from Christ. Even though God created us all in his image. Martin Luther put it this way about the expression, Abba, Father. He said, let the law, sin, and the devil cry out against us until their outcry fills heaven and earth. Just let them shout it out. The Spirit of God outcries them all. Our feeble groans, Abba, Father, will be heard of God sooner than the combined racket of hell, sin, and the law. Martin Luther. <laughs> Amen. Whew. Amen. How true. In closing today, we're going to finish with verses 8 through 11. You see Paul's concern after he's explained all these things. You see Paul's concern, excuse me. Um, he says, but then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. Again, reminding them of the fullness of their identity in Christ. He reminds them now of their life before salvation. 
doing what comes natural as natural men and women do. You served those which by nature are not gods. This is called success, recognition. This is called pleasure. But what this does is it ultimately leads us to excess, to emptiness and addictions. He says in verse 9, But now after you have known God, or rather have known by God, how is it that you turn to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desired again to be in bondage? Why do you keep going back to this stuff? Anyone who's ever experienced or witnessed the power of substance abuse or addiction knows how frustrating it can be to see somebody relapse and come back under the power of chemicals, under the power of substance, or uh, a lifestyle, if you will. Here we see that it's quite possible to be addicted to the spiritual substance as well, um, not the things of God, but sort of like a new drug, by approaching God by the law and good works. Bondage to the law is the same as bondage to pagan gods because neither has the power to save or to bring spiritual liberation. So he says, you've gone back to that. You observe days and months and seasons and years um, in order to gain some kind of advantage with God and to earn his favor. Now you might say, well, is it wrong to celebrate Christmas and Easter? No, it's not. If you do it in the right context, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And so Paul, uh, we're going to pick up on this next week, but Paul says in verse 11, I'm afraid, of, I'm afraid for you. you know, I'm really concerned. I'm, I'm so afraid, it seems like all the work I've done, I labored in vain. Paul was disappointed to the point of fear because of their backslidden state, which renders a person in Christ spiritually unfruitful. And he says, I, you know, I, I'm, it's like I'm having to start all over again. So in closing, as we get ready to have a meal, and we good thing we're going to be eating inside. I'm sure it's pretty darn hot out there. Um, in closing, let's just bow our heads uh, and, and get ready for our, our time to close in prayer. But I'd like to challenge all of us. Um, consider, you know, what things you can do for your spiritual walk with the Lord. How much time in solitude do you send? And I, and I don't mean time in loneliness. I'm talking about time in solitude so that you can take that time to listen to God and you can take that time to pray. Uh, the question for you and I is, do I delight myself in Him, in the simple presence of God? Am I committed to refusing to allow myself to become a slave to legalism or self-effort? Or have I muddied the waters of my salvation? When a, when a person's backslidden into legalism, they lack the absolute assurance of salvation. And it's a lack of knowledge and assurance of God's love. And it becomes a waste of time. Your life becomes a waste of time as a child of God. And Paul says, why? Why do you want to go back to that? Why have you forgotten your first love? 
He says that because he knows that every approach to God, apart from simple faith in Jesus Christ, is destined to fail. So while we've got our heads bowed, there may be people here today that have found themselves in a place of distance from the Lord. You know, the, how we appropriate the things in our life and the directions we go in life, we can, you can ask us when we're in that state you know, about God, and we won't be able to tell, we won't be able to share about God's love and the fullness and the assurance we have because we feel so distant from our Lord. And I just want to say if there's anyone here who has that sense in their heart, that sense of being distant or abandoned by God, that is not true. The scriptures have just told us that you are a child of the Lord. You are a son or a daughter. You have been redeemed and you do have an inheritance from him. And he awaits your call. He awaits your desire to reach out and call out to him as the spirit that indwells you would say, Dad, Father, can I come before you, Lord? May I come sit at your feet? May I experience your love and your goodness again? And the answer is always going to be yes if you truly seek the Lord. He's not going to leave you, never leave you, nor forsake you. He cannot do that. He will not do that. That's not his nature. And so I would just, I would say, you know, during this time, maybe we'll, we'll close with a song here in a minute. We don't, I'll stop preaching. I'll stop talking so much. We'll, we'll dim the lights. We'll close with a song, with a closing song. And we'll just have a time with the Lord again on that. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.